starting from the back this morning. And I heard a preacher one time say that, why do you sit in the back? You can't escape the presence of God back here. And besides that, my two brothers up here, they're enjoying the nice cushion because no one ever sits up here. And you still got that, don't even want to say that, the six feet that you need from the post-pandemic. Anyway, I did that one time at a uh, pre-teen camp that I was doing, and there was a lady sitting in the back. I think I scared to death of her because I started real loud. She didn't expect me being back there. Thanksgiving, generosity in action. Now, scientific research has found a neurological link between gratitude and generosity. There was an article that was in the Greater Good magazine on December the 19th of 2017. It was entitled, Why a Grateful Brain is a Given One, and that's by Christina Carnes. She writes, quote, In a sense, gratitude seems to prepare the brain for generosity. Counting blessings is quite different than counting your cash because gratitude, just as philosophers and psychologists predict, point us toward moral behaviors and pay it forward motivations. Apparently, our brain literally makes us feel richer when others do well. Perhaps this is why researchers have observed that grateful people give more. Gratitude might be good for us, but it's good for others as well, end of quote. I find that quite interesting. And as we look at our two texts, <laughs> you had to pronounce those Hebrew names. You have my deepest sympathies, brother. I know what that's like. It's about building and furnishing the tabernacle. And this building project parallels what the work of God always entails. An opportunity for everyone to contribute in some way. An expectation that everything will be of the highest quality and the work will be done by the best qualified people who are called and guided by God. Now see if you're paying attention. Likewise, we have a building project. Did you know that? Now some of you are thinking I'm referring to the last business meeting when we formed a committee to look at building a family life center in the near future. And along with that, I'm sure the building grounds team is looking at our building now, looking to make improvements and how we can better use the space that we have. That's important, but the building project I'm talking about is much greater than that. It's building the kingdom of God. Now, Tammy and I went to the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, which is the state convention, on Monday and Tuesday in Euless. This is where I got my stats from. The population here in the great state of Texas is 30 million. I'm not going to call them people. I'm going to call them souls, because that's what they are. Eternal souls that will spend one place or another for all eternity, either heaven or hell. Let's look at them as souls. Now, back in 1998, the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention was inaugurated. 
In that time, 25 years ago, the population of Texas was 19 million souls. You got that? Now we're in back in 2023. We have a 30 million population. Out of that 30 million, it's estimated that over 19 million are lost. So let's put this in context. The population of Texas 25 years ago now represents the percentage of the population who are lost, who do not know who Jesus is. Let that sink in for a moment. You know approximately, you look this up, every day moving to our state, guess how many people are moving here every single day? Around 1,100. 400 languages are spoken, but 600 people groups. Dearly beloved, the mission field has come to us. Now, 14.1% of the population, statewide population, live in poverty. Monte County, the county in which we live, it's around a little over 21,000 souls live here in Monte County. 12% of the population here in our county live in poverty. And I'm sure the same stats hold for people who don't know Christ. Now here in Forestburg, I should check with Pamela. She probably has better information on this than I do. I found about 1,100 people live in the greater Forestburg area. That's what the number I found. And 11.1% of the people who live in the Forestburg area are living in poverty. It's right outside these doors. Therefore, this requires us to be generous with our time, our talent, and our finances. Thanksgiving is generosity in action. We are to be thankful. So that begs the question, what should we be thankful for? I'm sure if I went around the room this morning with a mic, you could give me your top ten list. It's really hard to narrow everything down to ten items, though, isn't it? To try to list it all down to just ten things you're thankful for. But perhaps I can say it best by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57. That states, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That's the bad news. But the good news is, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm most thankful for this morning, my salvation, that I know him, that I have a relationship with him. And no matter what happens in the White House or around the world, they can never, never take my salvation away from me. More so, I've been called just as you are, to witness to people. Do you realize you have the greatest mission to do? To share the gospel. To save souls. To see that light come on. And to build the kingdom of God 
by sharing that wonderful message. Because the power of the gospel doesn't rest with me. It's the power of God. It's all Him. So with that being said, let's go back to Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 through 9. It says, Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel. Moses has assembled and he's speaking to the whole community. And he's fulfilling the command for each person to be invited to respond. He told them directly about God's desire. And God wanted them to respond willingly to his call. Look in verse 5. Take from among you a contribution or an offering to the Lord. And if you go back to verse 4, I'm kind of doing it out of order. He reminds them, this thing, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. So this is what the Lord wants. This wasn't coming from Moses. It wasn't a decision that he made or any other person in the community. This was a command from the Lord. Because everything about the tabernacle was a divine design and origination. They are being graciously allowed to participate in the construction. They could not claim any other credit. It was all of God. As I look back the past seven years I've been here, I cannot claim any credit for what has happened. We see the sparks or the result of a lot of your generosity. 160 boxes going out around the world to share the gospel with kids and their parents. Each box has the potential of reaching 10 individuals. In a minute, I'll see another generosity by going into the fellowship hall and having more than enough food to eat and more than I should, especially the desserts. We can't take credit for that. That's all of God. And you responding to that call. It was God who instructed the Israelites how they were to worship him, how the tabernacle was to be designed. They didn't go to God and say, this is how we're going to worship you, God, and this is how we're going to build the tabernacle. No, it was the opposite way. God told them exactly what he wanted. Now, before he announced the list, that is found in the last part, of, last part of verse 5 through 9, he clarifies the type of contribution. Look in verse 5. Whoever is of a willing heart, or as a New Living Translation puts it, those with generous hearts. Now, willing or generous hearts are translated from two Hebrew words. Nadev, which means inclined, ready, willing, or generous, and live, which usually translated heart, can also mean mind, soul, spirit, or self. In other words, the source of life of the inner person. So what Moses is doing is he inviting everybody who has a generous heart to give. It's not mandated. It's not coerced. They are to freely give as the Lord moves on their hearts. That reminds me of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. When you give, you give accordingly how God moves upon your heart. You cannot manipulate God. I'll give you this, you give me that. It doesn't work like that. And if you're just giving to give because you feel obligated to your duty, that's not really fulfilling it either. You give because that's what you want to give, how God instructs you to give. And you give out of a grateful heart. That's not just money. That's of your time and your talent. Everybody in this room, I've said this before, has a spiritual gift, a spiritual uh, talent, if you will, that God's given you to build his kingdom. And you can find the list, like I said, in the last part of verse 5 through 9. This passage stands as a model about how the things of God are provided for by his people. They respond to his divine call, and they give freely, without coercion. They give out of their own possessions, so that each person participates through personal sacrifice. See, part of the privilege of serving God is to be found in the opportunity to donate to his purposes things that he gave us out of his common grace, so we can turn back and give it to him. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. One of the most precious things, no, not things, or people, souls, that Tammy and I have received is our three daughters. But see, they didn't really belong to me. God gave them to me to instruct them and to raise them in his ways. And the hardest thing I've had to learn and my 55 years I've been on this earth, is to let go and say, okay, God, we raised them. They're in your hands. And for all you parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've raised them. They know God's word. And I have to trust God is going to watch over them. And I hate to admit it, but that's more difficult to do it in action. It is just saying it. What have you been given? God has given you so much. In fact, as a believer, my very life does not belong to me. I've been purchased with a price. When I gave my life to Christ, I'm telling him, hey, everything I have, even my own life, Jesus, does not belong to me. It belongs to you. What do you want me to do? That should be all of our prayers. If you say that with a willing heart, then I must warn you, hold on. Because he's going to call you. God being God likes to pull us to things that are out of our comfort zone. Why is that? To drive us to our knees. Because we realize we cannot do this without him. I cannot stand here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday without the Lord's help and guidance empowerment it's impossible i get burned out i need him or as the hold him him says i need him every hour now we jump over to chapter 36 verse 1 we read every skillful person in whom the lord has put skill and understanding or ability 
to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall be performed in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Everybody who builds this tabernacle must be gifted by God. And everything must be strictly done in accordance with what he's told them. This was not a democratic undertaking. No one could demand to be allowed to work on it because they just wanted to or maybe come and help at some time or another. No, you had to be called. And you couldn't change the plans. You could say, hey, let's make the tabernacle bigger. Let's make it smaller. Let's not do this. Let's do that. They couldn't do that. They have to follow God's instructions. Now this gets interesting because the construction starts. And you see in verses 3 and following, Moses gets all the gifts, the offering, the offerings that they're giving, and he's giving them to the builders, the various skilled workers of what they're doing. And the building project takes off, and as it's going, the people continue to freely give. In fact, in verse 3 we read, they still continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. There wasn't just one call and that was it. They continued every morning to come and to give. That demonstrates to us that they're not just going through this routinely for the call, fulfilling the call of offerings, but they're eager and they were cheerful about doing whatever they could to make sure there was enough supplies to get the work done. They wanted that work to be done the way God had commanded it and they wanted to get done as soon as they could and they just kept bringing gifts, kept bringing it, kept bringing it. And in fact, their willingness to give was so tremendous that they stopped. The workers stopped and they go and they find Moses. And look in verse 5. They tell Moses the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. We're getting way too much stuff. Now think about that for a moment. They're building this tabernacle. You can find instructions in the tabernacle in the text. Exactly how big it was and everything that had to happen. But they kept giving, hey, wait a we get one, one more. It's too much. Get in the way. So Moses passes a proclamation in order to stop giving. And you see verse 6. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. The donations were piling up. The offerings were overflowing with generosity. Look at verse 7. This is what strikes me most of all. Look at verse 7. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. They gave above and beyond. And you know what? They probably still kept giving if Moses didn't tell them to stop. See, Israel was giving out of a grateful heart. They had witnessed God do powerful things. He had delivered them from the bondage of Egypt and enabled them to cross the Red Sea on dry ground, the text says. Hear about that in Exodus chapter 14. God had provided manna when they're wandering in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. And water from a rock in Exodus chapter 17. Now you remember where they came out of. Let's think about this. i got to chase this rabbit. They had the plagues in Egypt. All right? They finally get out. The Egyptians say, here, take it. Just get out after the firstborn was dead. They had the Passover. And they go out. And they come to the edge of the Red Sea, and I'm just paraphrasing, 
Moses, why did you bring us out here? We're just going to die. We can't cross the sea. Here come the Egyptians. We just come out here to die. And they just start complaining and everything else. Next thing you know, God splits the Red Sea in half. And they cross around in dry ground. And as they're going, they see a pillar of fire go down to hold the Egyptians back. Why all of them cross. Now, the thing, what scholar you read could be one to two million people at this point. I put that in perspective. They cross... And as the Egyptians pursue them, what happens? The Red Sea crashes on them and drowns everybody. They go to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. He's gone for a while, and they start freaking out. That's my word, freaking out. We don't know what happened to them. So they tell Aaron about it. So Aaron gets all the gold together, gets the earrings and whatnot, and makes a golden calf. They start worshiping. And even Aaron says, this is the God that led you out of Egypt. Moses comes back down from my side. Hey, what are you doing? You know what, you know what the excuse of Aaron was? I don't know. I just threw the golden river out jumped this calf. But my point being, that generation had saw God act in so many powerful ways to get them out of the bondage, and yet they kept complaining and just, just being warriors about everything. And, of course, they spy out the land. You know the story. They can't take it, so they don't believe. And that whole generation dies off in the wilderness. And during that time, God doesn't leave them. He's still there. He provides manna. If you're not familiar with that entire story, I can give you the text references in the book of Exodus. It's a, a wonderful story to look at. And, yes, I may look at them and say, how could you be complaining? But chances are I'll be right there with them. We'd, as a side note, sometimes I've heard people say they were Baptists because as soon as they came out of Egypt, they formed the committee. How many of you want to go back to Egypt? We're going to die out here. Hey, I know you can see that happening. That's human nature. But they had seen him work. And the greatest promise he makes to them is Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, that his presence will go with them every step of the way in their journey. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Don't we have that same promise? And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the last part of the Great Commission. Go thee therefore, make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything that I've taught you, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even when you feel forsaken, you're not. God has promised to be with you. As I has mentioned at many points in their story, the Israelites, they are fearful, they are complaining, they are worried. However, they learned to trust God's provision with gratitude and resulted in their ability to freely give. They have learned their lesson. I'm sure that was a, a passed down from generation to the next generation. Do not disobey God like we did. Listen to him. Trust him. Be obedient to him. And I would tell you likewise, as we cultivate thankful hearts for God's goodness and provision and presence, the natural overflow of that will be generosity. Think about what God has done for you. Think of what God has done for all of us. Think of what God has done on behalf of our country and the world. Because you see, dear beloved, thanksgiving, gratefulness, is generosity in action. 
Science tells us that. More importantly, the Bible tells us that. The more we're thankful for things, the more we will give. No matter what we are facing as individuals or as a church, we can take eyes off our pain and put them on Christ with the hope of the Holy Spirit and a practice of gratitude. Because when we do that, or open our eyes to the needs of all around us and we find joy not only in our only not only in our own experiences, but in the experience of others. See, it's, it's the old advantage, and a lot of popular songs even have this nugget of truth in them. Stop complaining what you don't have. Be thankful for what you do have. But we live in a culture. Now, now, now. New improve, new improve. Get it now, get it now, get it now, get it now. And we're bombarded with those messages all the time. We chase it. It's kind of like a an ox chasing a carrot in front of him. He just hangs the carrot there and he just keeps going for it, but he'll never catch it. Our culture promises something it cannot deliver. And that is peace beyond understanding. What a gift we have that God has wired us in such a way that when we obey his command to be grateful, we not only improve our lives, but the lives of people around us. What a magnificent way to obey the command to love God and to love our neighbors. By our way, our neighbors are not limited to us in a neighborhood, but the parable of the Good Samaritan defines who our neighbor is. You see, Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. They, didn't, they thought of them as half-breeds. And he tells that story about this person on Jericho Road. Jericho Road was known to be notorious for people getting robbed and killed. That a priest and a Levite not only did not stop, but they went way on the other side of the road. And then a Samaritan. That's like taking one of these hate groups that we have in our country now and say, that person that you're crying against and say you hate, that's your neighbor. Everyone's our neighbor. And I would suggest to you, I may get in trouble for this, that taking care of the widows and the orphans, those in need, is our job as a church, not the government's job. Because every time the government gets hold of something, what do they do? That's our job. Yeah, you're thinking it. I just pray that Forestburg Baptist Church will continue to be a place where our thankfulness is expressed in our generosity. And it's not just financial. It's our time and our talents. As Brother Larry likes to say to me all the time, are you interruptible? Can someone interrupt you? Or you go in the church, someone has a flat tire, I'm late for church, get out of my way. You know, when I first started seminary there at Southwestern, there was a middle school right beside the campus, and they had a school zone, and you'd be going through there 20 miles an hour. And all the students, we'd have, back in those days, we had a red sticker. Faculty would have a blue sticker so we could park on campus. 
And I'll never forget, it was about November, December, coming to the close of the fall semester. The seminary president read a letter from the chief of police from Fort Worth telling us, we know you're seminary students. Would you please slow down and obey the law at the children's zone, at the, at the school zone? Just goes to prove that our actions speak louder than words. Of course, none of you ever cut people off in traffic and speed. I know you guys are much better than that. By the looks, I say no. <laughs> but here's the point. Thanksgiving should be every day of our lives. Look at the example that we have from Old Testament. Just one of many examples. The people had disobeyed God. They had learned their trust in God. And when it came time to give, they gave eagerly and cheerfully. And they ended up giving more than it was needed. We have come a long way in these last seven years that I've been here. The church has come a long way up to now. We have many challenges ahead of us. Great challenges. We have more people starting to come. We have more kids on Wednesday night. We need teachers. We're looking at doing a building, all these things. That's going to require us to be generous with our time, our talent, and our finances. Why do I give? So I can tell the church what to do with, my, with the money I give and how to spend it. I want this. I give it out of a grateful heart because of what God did for me on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. Amen. That's why I give. That's why I labor. What are you thankful for? Have you given your life to Christ? Come and I'll talk with you and invite you and just invite you to make that step today. You looking for a church home? Love to have you here. Or anything else stopping you from serving God? Don't limit Thanksgiving to a single day. Thanksgiving should be every day of our lives that we wake up. Another opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to make an eternal difference in this world. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Don't fall asleep on me. I'm going to close with this. These boxes up here will be shipped out, sent around the world. We may never meet who receive these boxes or the materials. Can you just imagine being in heaven one day and someone coming up to you and saying, thank you so much for being generous and sending that box. Because because of that box, I heard of Christ. And because of Christ, I'm here today. You know, when he says, look around, great is your reward. He's not talking about your mansion. He's not talking about the streets of gold. He's talking about the lives that were touched. Because we're grateful and we put that in action and told others. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are so grateful for just who you are. That you're righteous. That you're almighty. There's nothing you cannot do. And that your love, 
your great love you have for us and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness exceeds our comprehension. Lord, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that we respond to your call by being generous. After all, God, you're the one who gave us everything anyway. It's all because of you that we have clothes to wear, food to eat, jobs to go to, to provide for our families. Father, everything's from your right hand. You're the one who gives us a brain and understanding how to do tasks. Father, you're the one who purchased our salvation. Father, you have done everything. May our lives be lived and characterized by gratefulness, thanksgiving, expressed by being generous to those around us who are less fortunate. May we be quick to witness to others about the greatest message of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. May your spirit continue to move here today, and may we respond to your call that you place in all our lives. You get all the credit. It's all because of you. It's all because of your, of your mercy, your love, your grace. Father, it's all because of you. Continue to speak to our hearts, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?